This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Here we are with Austin and Lynn. Austin, say hi. Hi. Lynn, you go now. Hey, John. See hey, the, Austin. Yep. See, we're all three here. <laughs> and I'm John. And we're going to talk about weeds that kill relationships. Now, up front, this material has been taken from the research of John and Julie Gottman. They're psychologists, researchers. They're like the two 800-pound gorillas right now in marriage and family therapy. And their research is double longitudinal. Woo! Fancy mm-hmm. word, but mm-hmm. they've been doing this for 40 years. So this is not just a one or two year uh, experimentation from which they took observations. They've been doing this and building this research off of watching couples from their 40 year research that they say, if they're in play, will destabilize a relationship. Uh, the presence of these four patterns, they said, proved to be fairly accurate indicators of an unhealthy relationship, and in some cases, many cases even, came to be predictors of divorce. So they coined the term for these four behaviors, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, imagery from the book of Revelation, which signals the end of things. They stole from the Bible is what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, what the Gottmans did is they took this biblical imagery and adapted it and applied it to marriages because, John, just like you said in their research, they found when these Four horsemen, these relationship killers were alive and well on a consistent basis. It spelled doom for them in their marriages. In other words, it showed that unless they made some pretty drastic changes, they weren't going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I love the imagery of those four horsemen riding to the apocalypse. But for our purposes, we're going to call them the four relationship killers because we kind of see them as weeds that kill or choke the life out of a relationship. And so here they are. They're they're pretty simple and you can write these down. They are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And in today's episode, we're going to define each of these terms. And we really have one main goal here. We want you to become consciously aware of these relationship killers in your life, because usually these are behaviors or attitudes that we engage in and we experience them without really consciously thinking about or even knowing that we're doing them. And so today's episode is simply to help us name, identify, describe, and give you a mirror to look in and ask yourself, where are these relationship killers showing up in my relationships. Yeah, and obviously these are going to be most easily applied in a marriage context because you're living side by side, rubbing shoulders with this person. But but these are also universal. And the truth is that we likely grew up seeing and experiencing mm-hmm. some of these, many of them, all of them. 
which is where we pick up on these patterns. So if we don't notice them and put a check in place, they're going to end up eroding a relationship. So it's present in all relationships. And what's really interesting to note, and Gottman noted this in his research, it's not necessarily the intensity of these things that causes the damage. It's that they block communication. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. cannot get beyond them to know the other person and really know their story and know their heart and what it's like to be them so that it shuts down intimacy. Yeah. And you're saying not just intimacy in marriage, but in all relationships. Yes. So if you're not married, uh, you still need to listen to this because these apply to any and all relationships. And, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about as we were talking about this last week, I couldn't help but think of the role that social media can play in yeah. all this. Mm -hmm. And what I mean are the familiar platforms of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Now, what I'm not saying is that those things are the devil and we should burn them to the ground and go back to the good old days of the 1860s. You know, mm -hmm. I personally like indoor plumbing and Chipotle. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I am saying is that we have to acknowledge and understand the ways that these platforms are shaping and really teaching us. You know, think about it. If we read about something we don't like, it's so easy to take to something like Twitter and send off our best 140-character criticism. Or if the GM of our favorite sports team makes a trade that we don't like, we can express our contempt of them and the organization in the blink of an eye. And we can even create movements to stonewall people and organizations, even churches, if and when they commit a perceived social faux pas. Sometimes those are justified, but other times they might not be. Here's the point. These seeds of these relationship killers of criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, they are alive and well in our hearts. And social media can be fertile soil for these just to grow and to thrive. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, as we go through these killers, uh, it's important to note they emerged from longitudinal relationship research on married couples, but they do broadly apply to any relationship. And I like to think of it this way, to universalize it. What kind of a world do you want to live in? Uh, do you want to live in a world that's filled with criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling? And I, I think it might be appropriate to think of stonewalling as ghosting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a form of ghosting. Yeah. Um, in your domain, your relationships, your workspace, your marriage, your friendships, do you want to create a culture mm. that's filled with these things, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, or... Do you want to create a culture in which you can be heard, known, and cared for? Uh, and humans in relationships can be very resilient if they're willing to engage and work in and through these things. However, these four killers will shut down understanding, intimacy, and communication. So very important to know about them. Yeah, I would say when I first learned about these a few years ago and started to look for them in my marriage, I, my eyes were really like wide open to how prevalent they were and just bringing it to my conscious awareness has really helped me and Shay over the years try to work through these, avoid them, put the antidotes in place. But let's get started with the first one, criticism, because I think that's something we all do, we all experience, we can all relate to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'll kick things off here. Criticism is the expression of disapproval of someone or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. Uh, I think this one's the most common compared to the other four, and it can be the least damaging. 
it's also a splice this out from complaining. Complaining focuses on a specific issue. So for example, I really don't like it when we're late in getting dinner started because I get grumpy. Okay, that's issue focused. Angry. Hangry. Hangry. Yeah. As, we all get hangry. As yeah. the kids say, I have some friends who get hangry. You know who you are. Mm. Uh, but criticism would sound more like this. You are always late and so slow to get food on the table. What's wrong with you? Hmm. Notice that criticism often starts with the second person pronoun you. And it's a jab at that person. And it usually involves absolute language. You always, you never, over and over again. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I just said it's the least damaging compared to the other four. I probably should say it can be the least damaging as long as it's the exception, if this doesn't happen that often. But if and when this pattern becomes regular in a relationship, it opens the doorway to the other killers. And you can think about it, at least I do. I like to think about criticism kind of like roundup weed killer. You know, when we criticize, it's like we're spraying poison on the other person. Now, one spray, no big deal likely, but if we douse that person over and over again, it's eventually going to kill and destroy them and our relationship. And, and, and if you don't mind, I was just thinking about this. I've got a story of a couple that comes to mind, kind of what does criticism look like on the ground, so to speak? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we'll call these people Joe and Sue. And let me tell you what, Joe and Sue, they loved them some criticism. <laughs> they came in wanting to work on communication issues, which I don't know about you guys as a counselor that gives me zero information, but whatever, that's where people are at. But in their third or fourth session, we started to get to the, some of the root of these things. And Joe shared that he was openly critical of Sue's efforts to keep the house clean and control the kids while he was at work. Now, I know that might sound kind of cliche and old-fashioned, but this is what came out. And, and rather than take this criticism lying down, Sue fired right back. She started criticizing Joe's ability to find and to keep a job since he had about three jobs in the last three years. No, now, that's big for a guy. Right. So on and on we could go all that to say this is what this looks like on the ground. Well, and, and I, I want to throw in, I think, one of the reasons that this one can be so damaging is because our culture of sitcom stuff on TV is built on this. Mm. And so we've grown up watching it. It's part of the way that we think it. It just becomes automatic. Yeah. And I think we think that if I criticize another person, it's going to get them to change. Mm. And it just, it doesn't work. But I think we're sort of, you know, we grow up seeing this where we think, okay, if I just criticize and critique and get on their case enough that, that they're going to change. And well, it just makes things it worse. It just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But I think that criticism can then open the door to the second relationship killer that we want to talk about, and that is contempt. And when I even just think of the word contempt, it just evokes a certain image. I get a physiological reaction because it's something that we've all experienced, and it's just this attitude towards someone or something as inferior or worthless or less than. And it's really like a, just a feeling of disgust. You're looking down on someone and you're thinking, I would never do that. I'm morally superior to them. I just have no regard for them at all. And it's really ugly. I've seen it in myself. I, I know when it's happening, I don't like it, but sometimes I can find myself going there because I'm thinking of myself as better than that other person. And what I'm doing is literally holding them in contempt. 
kind of like a legal situation in court, like you're you're in mm-hmm. contempt. And and by doing that, I'm dehumanizing them, I'm devaluing their worth or their identity. And I'm even treating them as though I wish they were dead, just kind of this desire to annihilate. And clearly, this is very damaging. And if I remember correctly, you guys can correct me on this, but I think the Gottman said that this one is the most deadly of these four killers because it's very difficult to come back to a feeling of warmth and openness in the relationship once you have reached a level of contempt. Because think about this. If you start to detest someone, your heart is becoming essentially hardened towards them. And you're going to communicate this uh, feeling towards them either overtly or covertly. And over time, if you're insulting them, ignoring them, scolding, cursing, criticizing, it can actually turn into a form of psychological abuse. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is you can see this in body language. Yes. Shrugging of shoulders, rolling the eyes, Mm -hmm. making a facial expression, throwing your hands up in the air. It can become very corrosive. Yeah. I think that's why Gottman calls contempt of the sulfuric acid of communication Because it goes beyond the basic criticism, like you were describing, Austin, of, you know, you're always late fixing dinner. And it would sound like more something like, I can't believe I married someone so incompetent. You've had all day to take care of this. And now I come home and you couldn't even get that right. I guess I'll have to take care of it myself. I mean, that's like gross, isn't it? I need to... Do you call need to my go, wife right now. Do you need to I, I do. I need to call her and say, babe, I'm so sorry. I know, because contempt involves, it can involve name calling, demonizing another person. You're dismissive of their thoughts and feelings. And it's, you're just like being haughty and judgmental. And back to the social media thing. I mean, we see this all over the place. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Lynn, tell me two things here. One, it sounds like this doesn't just happen overnight. You don't go to bed one night and then like, oh, I love my husband or my wife, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you wake up and you just have these feelings of contempt. This sounds like a slowly but surely over time, a slow burn. And then just the second question, you know, I told the story of criticism. Is there anything that comes to mind from contempt? Yeah. I mean, I've been doing counseling for 15 years. And so I've certainly see this uh, shown up um, in my office, you know, particularly like we said in marriage, but it can be in any relationship. But I just have this clear memory of this one couple and the husband had such feelings of contempt towards his wife and it was coming out in just the most nitpicky ways to the point where he was complaining about the brand of cereal that his wife had bought. <laughs> and and he was going on a tirade about, you know, basically how nothing she did was good enough. And he just had contempt for every little thing that she did or didn't do. And inside, I just felt like, wow, this is going to be really hard to come back from because his heart had already gotten so hardened over time. He had such feelings of contempt for his wife. I didn't know if, 
you know, he could ever kind of be softened back mm-hmm. into a relationship with her. Yeah, and I I can't help but just think of that phrase, you know, self-righteous. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy you're talking about, he was self-righteous. And a self-righteous person, it's like they're above all the messiness and chaos, looking down on the other person or the circumstances and having contempt for that despicable person down there. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. we're up here in the clouds doing great. Right. And, and there's a scale here, right? Sometimes this contempt can boil over and you're at a level 10. But I bet for most people, myself included, it might be more at a low simmer, like at a one or two or three. But I think whatever level that we're at, none of it's okay. Mm. You know who was self-righteous? If you know the Bible, yeah. the Pharisees. And you know who took the Pharisees out behind the woodshed? <laughs> Jesus. Where, can you can you tell me what verse that is where it says that Jesus, Jesus? took them behind the woodshed? That's in the AC uh, version. I'll show you later. The Austin <laughs> Connor translation. translation. But, but there's a section in the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 23, where it's called the seven woes. And Jesus severely rebukes the Pharisees for their self-righteousness and their contempt mm-hmm. for the Gentiles, for non-Jewish people. Why? Well, he had con- uh, the, the Pharisees had contempt on these people when they were supposed to have compassion for them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was rebuking them for that. So this is a big deal, yeah. especially to Jesus. Well, it, it is a big deal. And I, and I can't help but think how much Gottman's research observing this just from a purely scientific research angle has surfaced what we see in the beginning of the Bible, Mm -hmm. where Adam blames Eve, blames God, and then Mm -hmm. Eve blames the serpent because they now know that they're under judgment, there's something wrong, and they want to deflect that. And the easiest way to do it is to find somebody else. Mm-hmm. Make yourself like look a little yeah. bit better. Mm-hmm. So when they're blaming one another, trying to get a step up on each other, they engaged in contempt. And going back to the Pharisees, I bet they got defensive uh, when they were hearing this. And that's our third horseman. Uh, defensiveness is a sense of internal inferiority. So you move to a defensive posture. And I do this very quickly with my wife. It came from part of my upbringing, which was extremely critical. If you goofed up, you didn't get second chances. And so defensiveness sort of became an automatic barrier of protection. So we can bring this stuff in to our relationships from other places. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever's hysterical usually is historical. Mm -hmm. And hysterical means emotions that are like, you know, off Off the charts. charts, So when criticism and contempt are woven in to a regular pattern of communicating, each person's going to naturally become defensive. And this is why it's so destructive and elusive, because it seems very reasonable. In fact, you kind of feel like it's essential to your own survival. It keeps the conflict in play. It escalates it. And it doesn't allow for any kind of healthy conflict or problem solving. Years ago, I had a couple in my office. You know, you talk about Joe and Sue. My favorite is Biff and Trixie. Love Biff and Trixie. <laughs> Biff and Love Trixie. Love to meet them someday. Oh, it served me so well. Because <laughs> like how many people are named Biff or Trixie? I don't think I've ever met a Biff or Trixie. It's just so I think really you're safe. in safe territory. Yep. So Biff and Trixie come into my office. And what I specifically remember is Biff wanted to have like his quiet time, his time with God. And that became a place of superiority. 
Mm. Trixie, on the other hand, wanted help in the kitchen. So Biff dug into the most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. So I'm watching this go back and forth. Yeah, but what about the kitchen and I need help with the kids? Yes, but I'm with God. So I tried to step in and say, well, you know, there are places in the Bible that it talks about like giving, serving, loving. So maybe you could do some of that, you know, with your wife. And Biff did nothing but dig in and became defensive. Even when Trixie tried to lean in and gain a hearing. Mm. And I specifically remember he would not look at her. Mm. He shook his foot rapidly and started tapping. So the body language was, I'm done with this. Mm. I'm not listening. And it became a posture of him being unable to even hear anything that she was saying. And it turned into, yeah, but you. Well, mm. what do you do with God? Mm. So it was like an over-spiritualizing mm-hmm. on his part to defend. And what I knew about Biff is deep inside, he felt like nothing. He felt really, really small. So his defensiveness became such a pattern that I had to stop working with the couple because we could not move beyond mm. it. Yeah. And, and John, tell me if this math equation sounds right and sounds like it was alive and well in this couple. When you have consistent and regular criticism, plus contempt, plus defensiveness, what do we have for him, Johnny? We have... Stonewalling. (laughs) Stonewalling. Tell us about the fourth and final relationship killer of stonewalling. Yeah, well, it it shuts down. It's a total shutdown. And I, I kind of think the term itself tells you what it is. Stonewalling. You're not putting a boundary in place. You're building an impenetrable wall. What what would you say the difference is between a boundary versus the wall? Yeah, a boundary, think of that as kind of like the front door of your house. Uh, That Mm. door can come open under certain conditions. There can be a going out and a coming in. Mm -hmm. A wall is impenetrable. Ain't nobody getting through that. (laughs) It doesn't have a door. Yeah. Now, I want you to note this. When Gottman interviewed clients, They claimed that they would shut down and build this wall because they were trying to be neutral and not make things worse. And what they didn't realize is that the wall conveyed to the other person isolation, cutoff, disapproval. Uh, He also noted this is more difficult for men than women. Now, Austin, I know you're going to want to jump in and say this, and you should. Women do this too. But Gottman found that men have a more difficult time with this one because they tend to place less value on handling emotions. And he illustrates this by pointing to how children play when they're growing up. Hmm. He said boys will tend to focus more on activity than on relationships. Girls will stop a game that they're playing, deal with a difficulty, resolve the conflict on some level, and sometimes even abandon playing a game altogether Mm. for the sake of the relationship. Boys, on the other hand, will often become more competitive, and they'll just repeat the game over and over and over until somebody wins instead of hashing out the emotions. The other thing he found is that men are more intense, and this leads to being flooded or overcome by their emotions. When you say intense, can, can you share more? What do you mean when you say intense? Yeah, I think men understand, and we'll just do this on the fly. I think men understand if I tap into my anger, things are going to get hurt. 
And this is what you'll often find on playgrounds where little boys get into a conflict. They'll go duke it out, punch each other, and then they're best friends for a while. Uh, Because they know once this gets unleashed, it's really going to be damaging. And so they're afraid of it. The the intensity is, is there. And they just don't want to tap into it. So the man will tend to stonewall or shut down to avoid blowing up and avoid overreacting. Yeah, I know the research does show that men do this more than women, but, you know, I can build a pretty good stone wall myself, you guys. <laughs> well, do tell us. <laughs> and if Shay was here, he would attest to the fact that Lynn's a pretty good uh, stonewaller. You know, I think about uh, one Christmas, this was years ago, the kids were little, but um, Shay and I had an argument, and, and it was the night that we were going to get the Christmas tree up, get all the decorations out. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, like, you know, play the Christmas music, right? Do the whole uh, family coming around to decorate the Christmas tree. But Shay and I got into this argument and I was so, so angry. And we had planned to go out to dinner. It was going to be this whole thing. And I just completely shut down. I removed myself from the family. Mom disappeared to the bedroom and and shut the door. So I can hear Shay from the other room saying, well, kids, I guess we're on our own for dinner tonight. So I hear the phone, you know. Did he say that in an elevated way so you would hear? (laughs) Yeah, somehow I heard it from the bedroom. So I think he wanted me to hear that. So I hear a pizza being ordered and delivered. And I'm literally like, I'm gone. I am checked out. And the kids are, what happened to mom? Why aren't we decorating the tree? And I was so mad. I could not speak to him for at least 24 hours. I mean, I was hurt. I was upset. I was frustrated. He was trying to, you know, peek his head in the door and, you know, figure out like (laughs) what's going on. Peeking over the wall. Peeking over the wall. (laughs) And, but I couldn't receive it. I mean, I had just, I had completely shut down. Now, eventually I got out of it and I was able to open up and we were able to talk about and go back to the argument and sort of figure out what was wrong and why I was hurt and and how we needed to repair it. But I went bye-bye for a couple of days. So women are pretty good at stonewalling. John, remind me, put in my planner, never offend Lynn (laughs) to that level because she will stonewall like a pro. But she, she is good. I've worked with her yeah, for 10 years. True. She's very good John at it. John knows I can stonewall. Note to self. No, but, but Lynn, and I was just thinking about this, that was what, a two-day? You went bye-bye for a couple of days. Yes. Could you imagine if you stayed in that place, not just for two days, but for a couple of weeks, mm. for a couple of months, what that would have done to you, to yeah. your relationship? Mm. Unfortunately, I think that's pretty common for some couples and for a lot mm-hmm. of people, just stonewalling for an, a long period of time. You know, what would have happened if that wall had stayed in place and you didn't push through it? Mm-hmm. Where would your relationship would be? Well, it it'd be, be distance. No. no, it'd be distant. You'd have this unresolved tension, ongoing hurt, no room or desire for connection. I think it quickly becomes a power play. Yes. I mean, I think yeah. in, initially it's, I don't know what to do with the intensity of my emotion. Mm-hmm. But then once you get into it, you start to realize, Oh, yeah, like how long can I hold out on this? I am master and commander yeah. of mm-hmm. my silence. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, there's also another level of pride here. Like if I give in, mm. I've got to, you know, I've got to eat my words. I got to go apologize. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to wait it out and see what happens. And it just builds and builds and nothing good happens. Man, this is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, I was getting into this at the beginning, like 
is this going to be like interesting to people? But now that we're talking about it, like this is really the grist of what goes on in relationships across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we start to, you know, close out this episode, let me just remind us of the four killers that will kill the relationship. It's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Now, if you're asking what now, that's a great question. We're going to get more into this next time. But for now, I'll give you one simple takeaway, maybe just for the week, conscious awareness. And what I mean is that for yourself, just begin to notice where and how you experience and create and participate in these four relationship killers. You don't have to solve all the issues immediately. Remember, John, like you said at the beginning, it's not about getting rid of these completely, but about managing them. So this week, just simply notice. And then next week, you can learn more about what to do next. Yeah, you mentioned how we discussed prior to recording. Something that Gottman said in his research that he discovered is you don't have to solve these issues completely in your relationships. Rather, and this is hopeful to me, you have to learn to manage the emotions that surround them. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of freedom in that because these things are always going to be in play. So you don't have to get rid of them completely, but you do have to learn how to navigate them. And this will keep you from going down what Gottman calls the rapids Mm -hmm. of these four killers. Now, if you're listening to this for the first time, I would encourage you to go back to our first series on managing emotions. Yeah, that's a good idea. We've also got a couple in there on how to do conflict. Mm -hmm. But for now, join us next week where we're going to discuss the four relationship builders, what are the opposites of these? Yeah, what should we do instead? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, I seriously want to thank our listeners for listening because this podcast is growing and it amazes me and I'm humbled by it and I'm deeply, deeply, so deeply grateful to all of our listeners. I so agree. Thank you guys. Thanks for being yeah, here. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.